this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK show on UK Health Radio, your global real feel-good radio station. On the Relax Back UK show we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. Thank you for joining me, Mike Dilk, on this week's Relax Back UK show. I really enjoyed chatting to my guest this week. Professor Greg White is a modern pentathlete Olympian turned academic. He's now a professor of applied sport and exercise science. We talk about all kinds of stuff, but the main topic is recovery from injury and exercise. He is an elite athlete, but what he does and this chat is relevant to us all. What I do really is take physical activity in its broadest sense so it, it physical activity from activities of daily living so things like shopping walking upstairs etc all the way through to uh, olympic sport so all yes. the way through to elite elite and professional uh, and look at enhancing performance of individuals across that spectrum professor greg white really is an academic that does know the practice as well as the theory as well as the theory so come and listen to a fun an interesting show. This show is cool. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things. Make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchzip.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% with the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk or click our banner on the UK Health Radio website. Discover alcohol freedom with Zero Zilch Zip. Because nothing's better. The station that makes you feel good. So my guest, Greg White, is a modern pentathlete who is an Olympian. And uh, he's also Professor of Applied Sport and Exercise Science, which leads on to my first two questions, really. Straight off, there's a couple of questions there uh, in no particular <laughs> order. Um, what's, the, what's the modern pentathlon? <laughs> That's the that's always the first question. Yeah, uh, it's it's a it's a great pub quiz. What's interesting about the modern pentathlon is that it has been in every Olympic Games since the first modern Olympics in 1896, and it was introduced by the founder of the modern Olympics, Baron Pierre de Coubertin, and his his concept was that he wanted to have something that was military based, uh, and it he wanted it to replicate the delivery of a message from point A to point P uh, across the the battlefield. So the, the events in it replicate that. So it is running, swimming, shooting, fencing, and show jumping. Okay. So without doubt, you, you are officer material. <laughs> Perhaps that's the irony of it. I have never been officer material. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let, let's, let's park that. I'm sure we'll come back to uh, your history there. Um, 
Professor of Applied Sport and Exercise Science. Uh, so what does that entail? That could entail almost anything, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess you know, me personally, I'm a physiologist uh, and I am an, what's called integrated physiology. So it's actually the, the sort of bringing everything together. I, I trained initially at, at um, I did an undergrad in London. I went out to the US to do a postgrad and then came back and did my PhD at St. George's Hospital Medical School in London. So my PhD was on the heart. Um, I won't bore you with it. It was it was uh, effectively a differentiation between a particular disease called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy uh, and what happens to the athlete's heart uh, during training. And, and the reason why that matters is that that hypertrophic cardiomyopathy uh, it can lead to sudden cardiac death. So some of the, the deaths that we see in athletes uh, yeah. during competition. Um, and so making sure that you can differentiate between what is a normal physiologic response and what is pathological or pathophysiological right. uh, is really quite important. And, so, and, and then from there, I then went on to take an academic post. Uh, I then became the director of research for the British Olympic Medical Centre, director of science and research for the English Institute of Sport and the Irish Institute of Sport, and then sort of came back to an academic post. But I also ran a, a clinic on Harley Street. And effectively, what I do really is take physical activity in its broadest sense so it, it physical activity from activities of daily living so things like shopping walking upstairs etc all the way through to uh, olympic sport so all yes. the way through to elite elite and professional uh, and look at enhancing performance of individuals across that spectrum so you know, in the eclectic sense what what so recently for example i've worked with um one of the greatest uh, triathletes on the planet to enhance their performance. Uh, and uh, my most recent research is on exercise and cancer. Right. So it, it's quite, it's quite an eclectic mix, but it's, it's fundamentally about physical activity in its broadest sense and how we can enhance human performance using it. Okay. No, that's really good to hear you say that. Cause I'm, I'm hoping we can talk about recovery, but also keep yeah. it relevant to, you know, the man in the street who gets worn out um, walking up the yeah. stairs and also, we undoubtedly we will touch on elite activity first. But I'm I'm just being a bit nosy, and I'm peering at the book behind you in your bookshelf, and I'm just wondering if your PhD thesis is there. When was uh, it? When was it last cited? My God, what God? I mean, well, because uh, effectively, what it's an unfair question. Well, well, no, I mean, very recently, in fact, I'm just trying to think where it is. Um, but it's in there somewhere. It's the differentiation of physiologic and pathologic left ventricular hypertrophy hypertrophic cardiomyopathy versus the athlete's heart. It's a hell of a mouthful. And, and when they awarded it to me, <laughs> the guy that was presented was absolutely delighted just to get through the title. <laughs> so yeah, the, the only somewhere. reason I ask that question is, is my wife too is an academic and, and she sometimes, you know, has a head in her hands and said, oh, you know, no, no one's ever read my thesis, you know. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, I think what, what's interesting about that is actually that, you know, what, what you do, uh, is so important because I think actually public engagement in science is is absolutely the most important thing that we do. I think invariably, sadly, actually, there are an awful lot of academics who they publish some truly outstanding papers and the only people that ever read them are the reviewers and the editor of the journal, you know, because it just doesn't get the exposure that it requires. It, it, yeah. it sits in journals that are difficult to access that you have to pay to access. And so I think what we're doing today is is as important if not more important than the research itself it's actually about translation 
Uh, it's about public engagement and about knowledge dissemination is okay. really what matters because yeah, otherwise well, we just it's, that's, it's pointless. That's lovely to hear you say that. Thank you very much. So that's that's a great time to sort of move off and launch into this, the, the topic of uh, of recovery and pick your brains about that. So I'm going to start off at the really basic stuff. You know, we we've all felt it when we're when recovery when we're recovering from exercise, um, we often feel stiff. Our muscles feel stiff. So in layman's terms, what's happening to our muscles? What's going on? Well, I, I, I mean, it's really interesting. And it's, it's always one of those things you have to be very careful with language. But, but what the role of exercise is effectively to create damage. Uh, and, and that damage, we, you know, we can call it good damage or bad damage. But, but fundamentally, what we want is the sort of good end of that spectrum is that, that damage is incredibly important because damage is the initial part of an adaptive process. So, so in order to get stronger, in order to improve aerobic capacity, in order to Im improve functional capacity, what we have to first do is, is stress the system. Uh, and, and, and exercise is a wonderful physiological stressor. And it stresses the system, causing damage. And then the repair process from that damage is what leads to adaptation and what, what leads to, to improvement in, in whichever area we're targeting. So whether it's strength and therefore muscle mass, if it's aerobic capacity, it'd be things like capillarization of, of, of the cell or improvement in oxidative enzymes. But basically, the, the reason why we feel damaged after exercise is actually that is the, almost the entire purpose of exercise is to damage us. Okay, so, so, so this phrase that you sometimes hear, sort of people in the gym, no pain, no gain, it, you know, that actually it's true. But, I mean, to some extent, yes. I, I think, what, what, again, you know, it's all comes down to the language. What you have to be very careful is to balance this. That, that what we don't want is we don't want too much pain. And we don't want, we don't want that pain to be too chronic. Uh, otherwise, what, what happens is we move into what we call an, a maladaptive state. So instead of a, a positive adaptation, we, we move into sort of a negative adaptation state. So, and, and actually, you know, too much exercise in, in a sense. And, and there are some, you know, there are some, uh, good examples of that is that if, if we damage the muscle too much, it can have a, a really deleterious impact uh, on health. And so therefore it is what we're always striking to do. And I think, that, you know, this is where exercise prescription, having somebody who really knows what they're doing is very, very important, is that what we're trying to do is we're trying to push it to the, to the edge mm -hmm. of that envelope where, where the damage remains physiologic and remains positive and avoid tipping over. And I think, you know, where we're going to get to now is actually recovery is absolutely fundamental to that positive adaptive process. Yeah. All right. So here's an impossible question, probably then. For, <laughs> for, for regular people, so take me, okay, I'm, I'm 55, nearly 56. I'm a bit fat. I'm reasonably fit. I go for the odd jog. At what point do I get to where it's causing damage i mean would it be if you know someone is making me run you know two marathons on the trot with a gun on my back which maybe i could get my physical body round without dying uh, and but i'm i'm sure it would be hideous and it would hurt for weeks afterwards or is it running as fast as i can for five miles you know <laughs> yeah, no, but, uh, I, I, it's, it's a really interesting question i think at uh, one end of the spectrum very simple to answer and that is that the Fundamentally, it depends what we're doing exercise for. But if you're thinking about physical activity, exercise for health, 
then there are very clear guidelines on that. The, the World Health Organization, the, the chief medical officer for, for the UK, and just about every chief medical officer on the planet, um, recommends 150 minutes a week of moderate intensity physical activity, aerobic activity. Right. Uh, and that, that, that sort of equates to 30 minutes a, a day, most days of the week. Uh, where we are doing something like brisk walking. So it's the type of activity that puts you out of breath, um, but it's not over strenuous. Uh, and critically, the one thing that often people miss out on that is two strength-based sessions a week. Really, really important, particularly as we age. Strength is absolutely critical uh, as we age for functional capacity and independence. So uh, and what we know is we, if we take a look at the impact of that on health, then, then what, what, what we tend to get to with that is that we start to plateau in terms of health benefits, right? So any more than that, it will have a positive effect, but but the the, the gains that we get become less and less and less at that right. point. Uh, and then, of course, if we then increase that dramatically without the appropriate recovery, in other words, without the appropriate time to adapt, then actually what we can start to see is that can be deleterious to health. So I think generally the target is 30 minutes a day, most days of the week of aerobic activity, two strength sessions a week, and that will be positive for health. Right. And then aside from that, it obviously depends on what you're trying to achieve. If you're looking to run a marathon, uh, then then that pro- that is not going to be enough in terms of running a marathon. Right. But then the critical factor within that then is it's the progressive nature of that training load that we impose what you have to be very careful of is waking up tomorrow morning thinking, right, I'm going to run a marathon and, you know, smash into the first first run being a half marathon. There is no doubt about it. You will cause some significant damage, which will take a, a prolonged period of time to recover. Yeah. Progressively increasing. And, and it's hence why, you know, uh, you know, I, I do ultra endurance now. And why am I able to do ultra endurance is effectively because I've got a training base, which has progressively increased across time to give me the condition to be able to cope with that training load. So it is, it, it's, it's making sure that what you're doing is you're delivering the exercise for your desired outcome. Right. And that, that's appropriate. All right. Let, let's, let's move on a, a little bit to the, you know, the fact that you did an awful lot of um, training as a, an elite athlete. And um, now this was a while ago when we were speaking last, I referred to it as the good old days, which made you laugh because presumably <laughs> You, you did a nine to five job and then you started your uh, Olympic training. And um, but presumably it, 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 the techniques weren't that much different. When you had done some serious training such that you were fit to drop, um, you know, what did you do to try and reduce um, the pain and speed up recovery so you could do it all again the next day or the day after, whichever was appropriate? Yeah, I mean, what I think what's really interesting about that is that it, I, I think it, well, I tell you what's interesting. I, I did a degree in sports science uh, in the mid eighties, mid mid to late eighties, uh, and at that time, I had to when I said to people I'm doing sports science, I had to caveat that with an explanation, much like modern pentathlon, <clears throat> because nobody knew nobody knew what it was. And in fact, the, the British Olympic Medical Centre, which I later became the director of research for. Uh, that was first opened in uh, 1986. Right. So what you, have to, what you have to think is that the, the, the knowledge of performance enhancement is, is, a, is a very new, uh, a new advancement. Um, it, it really, really, prior to that, it was, it was the ilk and, and certainly developed from 
uh, areas like Eastern Europe who were doing it slightly before us, particularly in East Germany, um, amongst other things. Uh, but uh, and so and so, you know, what, when you say, you know, you know, probably, you know, we were doing it when I was an, an athlete. Actually, we knew very little about it when I was an athlete. And I think what we have seen, and where sports science and sports medicine has made a significant contribution to performance. A good example of that in areas like recovery. So things like sports nutrition, you know, what, what should we take? What should we ingest? And when we sh should we ingest it? How much of it should we ingest? All of those type of things have, have we've begun to understand much more. So things like pro protein, well, protein is important for muscle, obviously, but actually there are, are 20 amino acids of which eight are essential, of which one is specifically targeted at, at, at muscle regeneration post damage and that is leucine now where do we get leucine from we get it from whey protein now so was this not known when you know absolutely not no i mean it was it really i mean this is novel news you know okay um I, i've we, we i've created um, a sports supplement company where we actually target almost exclusively recovery called you perform and within that we have uh, we, we look at collagen um, now collagen makes up a third of total body protein uh, is incredibly important in connective tissue. Now, most of us will have heard of it in hair, nails and skin in the beauty industry, but actually ligaments, tendons, cartilage and muscle itself has a, a significant uh, collagen content. Right. And it wasn't, until, it wasn't until 2003 that we could isolate the collagen peptide. So, so actually, you know, and we're the first, first sports nutrition company in the world to actually produce it on mass for consumption for uh, recovery so i think mm -hmm. it's, it's it's always sort of it's always attractive to think you know what it's always been that way in the good old days we used to do this and that but actually a lot of this work in sports science and sports medicine is incredibly new yeah. and we've seen a massive advancement in in, in these factors uh, in the past and decade so so this kind of thing like for instance the, the nutrition that you just mentioned you know, this this can be useful for you know people like me who sprain their ankle getting in and out of the car or something. Um, yeah. You know, this is not just elite athletes. This is useful for presumably. A hundred percent. I think so. This is so this so this is something that's uh, very good for all of us that's come out of this. It's not just our entertainment watching the football on a Saturday afternoon. Actually, this yeah. is pretty good for everyone. Yeah, uh, without any shadow of doubt. I mean, the, the analogy, although it's probably a bit trite, is. The analogy is think about you know, what NASA developed comes down into, into everyday life. You know, what, what, what Formula One are developing for their race cars is not just for, for F1. Actually, some of that technology, not all of it, obviously, but some of that technology drips mm -hmm. down in, into the cars that we drive every day. And, the, and it is absolutely true. And I think what, what's always interesting to me is that we often, you know, as we, as we said sort of in the intro, I mean, I work from... Uh, cardiac patients, cancer patients, all the way through to, to Olympic gold medalists. And I think that, that, again, it's sort of attractive to think that that they're different breeds, is that elite athletes are somehow, you know, freaks of nature. But <laughs> I think the interesting thing to remember is that, that, you know, their physiology is the same as everyone's physiology, and they're different. Right. Um, you know, their psychology is, is, is similar. You know, everything about them is very similar. So what, what we do at the elite end of the spectrum will fundamentally drip down into the general population to enhance what, what the general population does when it comes to physical activity. Okay. Well, so there was me, you know, thinking, oh, well, I shall launch off of how we rather pamper elite athletes now with, you know, hyperbaric <laughs> chambers and deep tissue massage and all this stuff. And there was you doing a nine to five job 
before you did your Olympic training, more or less. Um, but actually, perhaps I'm being a little bit too uh, harsh. Some, you know, some really good stuff comes out of this. Yeah, that, that, absolutely right. And, and I think it, and it is that, that advancement. You know, look, hyperbaric chambers, uh, cryotherapy. I don't um, really know what that is, by the way. Well, well, yeah, yeah, effectively, I mean, and interesting enough, I do an awful lot of work in, in chambers, uh, particularly in terms of conditioning for different environments. So uh, altitude chambers, what, what, what we can do is actually we can replicate any altitude at sea level right. by changing the oxygen content of the air. Um, now, what we do now, actually, in recovery, particularly rehabilitation, we've had significant success of actually putting athletes into into what's called normobaric hypoxia. So uh, uh, taking them to altitude uh, and, and performing their rehabilitation exercise. There seems to be an acceleration due to various different factors on that. Things like cryotherapy, which is cooling. So freezing therapy, if you like. It's not always freezing, but cooling therapy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of these things we used to do back in the good old days, you know, so ice, ice baths are not a new thing. Um, but actually now we're able to, to do it with technology that we can actually isolate particular limbs. So if you watch at the moment, the, the Giro, the boys are cycling the Giro at the moment, and what you'll see is that they've got these, uh, they're like cuffs that they put on their legs and those cuffs are being washed with cold fluid. And so rather than taking the whole body and submerging the whole body into cold water, what you can do is you can target around specific areas. So some of these things were known, some of these things were used, and, and just technology and the advancement of technology has enabled us to, to be much more specific and targeted about when, where, and how we use it. Okay. I, I suppose to some extent, and I, I guess it shouldn't really matter, a, a lot of this will have come about because of the, you know, uh, the massive financial rewards for some, uh, I'm thinking like, like maybe football. You know, if you've got a footballer who can win the game for you in two days' time, but he's he's not feeling quite up to it, actually, it's worth pumping a lot of money at making him better. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure a lot of this is kind of financially driven. Of course. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. I mean, you know, again, going back to the analogy of, you know, F1 and, and NASA, why would you want to put a man on the moon? Um, it's you know there is a, a financial drive to it, but there's also I think interestingly in what you see in elite sport as well is that there is a political drive for it. Uh, is that your position on the medal table is is now used? It was certainly used for for, for decades by by Eastern Europeans, uh, by East Germany and Russia and, and the Chinese, etc. But it's it, it's used just as much by the British and the Americans and everybody else is it's actually a, a, a shop window of how great you are is where you finish on the medal table. Yeah. Um, and so, so there are lots, there are lots of drivers, which, which push systems uh, to making the best athletes possible because it's, a, because it's a great shop window for their society. Yeah. All right. L let's bring it back to kind of more, more regular people for a moment. Um, and, and recovery as you would get a bit older, it, it, it gets harder. You know, I've, I've noticed that. So, um, yep. it, you know, th there's no two ways about it. If I, if I go for a job now, it takes me longer to, uh, yep. to recover. No question. Um, now, that's got to be part of the ageing process. So it's kind of physiolo the, the physiology, if that's the right um, expression, yep. is, is changing. What, what is actually happening? I mean, lots of things are changing is the answer to that. But I, I think you, know, you coin it beautifully. It's absolutely true. And I think, and certainly, you know, the one thing that I notice most of all is that, the, you know, I, I can train just as hard as I ever did. 
But what I know is just the duration of time it takes to recover is is elongated. And I think what, what that points towards, though, is one crucial factor. And that is that, that number one, is that what you don't want to do as we get older is take it easier. Now, that you, you could look at that sort of an, that, that scenario and think, you know, what the, the best way to cope with that is just not exercise as much and not train as hard. Uh, now, that is utterly counterproductive because physiologically, what we know is that... Ad, Past the age of, of certainly sort of around the 30 area, mid-20s to mid-30s, we start to see a decline. And that decline is inexorable, and it's associated with a host of different things. So for men, we have this thing called the somatopause. So we have a, a reduction in growth hormone, progressive reduction in growth hormone, reduction in testosterone. Both of those lead to a, what we call sarcopenia, reduction in muscle mass. That reduction in muscle mass causes a concomitant uh, reduction in aerobic capacity, and effectively, just functional capacity falls and falls. Now, for, for women, uh, classically, we know about the, the menopause, but the menopause is really important that actually we get a, a significant reduction in uh, in muscle mass with women, a reduction in aerobic capacity. And, and therefore, what we see is just this decline in, in exercise performance across time. Now, what, what's absolutely crucial about that, number one, is that what we what that means is that by if you think about, you know, that's the slope. By exercising, what we can do is we can't reverse that completely, but what we can do is we can make the slope a little bit shallower. So it takes longer to see that decline. And so therefore we can maintain our, our functional capacity for much longer. Really important in later life, really important. Um, and add on top of that, because we know, and so number one, that means we need to work harder as we get older forget this you know this idea that oh you know we can take it easy as we get older uh, actually what we need to do is work harder as we get older but because it takes longer to recover what we also have to do is we have to really target our recovery and try and optimize our recovery which you know spans a whole host of things it spans sleep it spans rest nutrition it, it, things like which nobody likes to do but things like stretching core stability and those type of things really important as we get older um, so making sure that, that we do everything right becomes increasingly important as we age because we're trying to reduce this inexorable decline in performance right so you, you mentioned a few things there in relation to recovery after exercise and yeah. you know they were simple you know the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get enough yeah. sleep eat properly you know, there's, there's no magic bullet or potion. I think the message is, look, it's doing the simple things well. I think what, you know, generally in life, what we're all, what all of us are looking for is a shortcut. Yes. You know, if I, can, <laughs> I just, you know, I want to make, put less effort in, but get the same result out. And, and, and very rarely does that ever happen in any, any area of life. Um, so I think what, what it, but what it's about, it's not, uh, it's not rocket science. It's not very over complex. It really is about controlling, you know, this lovely saying that we talk about controlling the controllables, you know, so making sure that we get control of our lives and then making sure we do the, the simple things really, really well. And it's, it's, it's rarely going to be one single thing. It's the combination of all of those things that makes the difference. And, and, and if you do it, what it then becomes, it becomes habit. It becomes part of lifestyle. It becomes mm -hmm. easy to deliver. It's not. It's not a problem initially. Uh, it, sorry, not a problem as we go on, um, and, and yet you will gain. I mean, you really reap the benefits of of doing the simple things well. Okay, well, that that sounds good. Um, I'm all for that. However, um, I, I do wonder sometimes, and this this goes with what you you were saying about um, as we get older, 
you know, we're more, recovery is harder. Presumably, we're a little more prone to injury as well. So there must come a point where sort of doing an amount of exercise as we get older, we're kind of asking for trouble. You know, there must be a cutoff point, uh, you know, because if I'm 55, if I went out, I have run a marathon, actually. It was a few years ago and it did hurt. But if, if I went out and did another one tomorrow, I, I could probably physically, I might not be able to run the whole lot, but I will get my sorry body around the course and then pay the, pay the price. So yeah, there, there well, must that's be a point that, but, but, at which you have to kind of rein it in a bit or the, 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 the chances of doing damage is, is too much. You know, I, I, it wouldn't it would be lovely to believe that, wouldn't it? Um, but but you know, fun, fundamentally, not true is the answer to that. And I, I think you know, I think it's what, what we have to be careful about is this idea that that we get to a point. And I've written much on this about we get to the point of usually middle age. So you know, now we're talking about fifty. I mean, I'm fifty five, and you get to the age of fifty five, and society has written you off. You're on the scrap heap. You're like you're too old to do anything. You can't possibly do those things uh, because you know you've got to be young to do those. Well. Uh, I was I raced in my 52nd year. I raced the Marathon de Saab, the toughest foot race on the planet across the uh, Sahara Desert. It's 156 miles across the Sahara Desert. It is brutal. Uh, and, and I'm out there as an over 50-year-old. No big deal, to frankly, to be honest with you. Um, I stood and got photographed next to the oldest man in the race. He was 86. 86. Did, did he, he complete was, it? This 86 he completed. Year. He completed. Uh, and in fact, I did it the same year that Ram was out there. Ram Fines uh, was out there, um, and he was seven. He was over seventy at the time. Um, I mean, and, and, I, and, and then you know, I say things like that, and usually the retort is, "Oh, yeah, but they're unusual." But, but they're not. Their physiology is no different to ours. Yeah, you, you, said, you know. But let's just rewind so a bit. You, can be done. So it's ha- one hundred and fifty-six miles. Yeah. Across the Sahara Desert, and so you, you, over multiple days, so you, you effectively go marathon, 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 double marathon, marathon, ten k. Okay. Uh, and temperatures, temperatures, certainly the the year we did it, the year I did it, um, temperatures uh, peaked in the mid fifty degrees centigrade. Um, and it, I mean, it, it is a brutal war of attrition on on physiology and psychology uh, to get across. But, but nowadays, it's one of many ultra-endurance races around the planet on different modalities, whether it's on bike, whether it's swimming, whether it's rowing across the Atlantic, yeah. you know, well, all of these things. I, I didn't know you'd done that one. But just recently, I, I saw a video of you doing this thing called the Norseman. And I wanted yeah. to bring that up because that is – well, dis- describe to us what that is. because It's, <laughs> it's just lunacy is what it is. Well, they, they call it the toughest triathlon on the planet. And it, it's based in Norway. and. Uh, at 4.30 in the morning, you jump off the back of a ferry into a fjord. You swim two and a half miles into shore. Um, you then get on a bike and cycle uh, 180 kilometers, 112 miles on a bike. Um, uh, well, I mean, and it's to say it's uphill. All uphill it, it, it feels like it's virtually all uphill. It's certainly alpine. It's one of those w- really interesting ones for me. I didn't realize Norway was so uh, was so hilly. Um, and then And then you finish off with a marathon run. Uh, of which the final, uh, the final fifteen miles is up a mountain, and you finish at eighteen hundred meters in altitude. I mean, it is again, it's a it's a war of attrition, really. Um, but I, I think I, I, the important thing about those type of events, though, is is that you know it brings us back to what we said right at the very beginning. It's about the, the progression. You know, 
you know, you said about running a marathon, sort of waking up tomorrow and running a marathon. That that's just simply not how it works. And certainly, as we age, what we have to consider is we've got this decline. And so, what what we're what we're fighting at that point, we're not only fighting what is required to to run a marathon, the physiology and the psychology, the nutrition, the technical and tactical, and all those things, but we're also fighting against aging, uh, and, and that is that is having an impact on performance, but it's also having an impact on recovery and. And so really, just as we get older, what we really need to be is just a little bit more fastidious about our prep. And I think as a as a kid, you know, you, you run a marathon in your 20s, you, you'll get away with it. Yeah. Um, try running a marathon in your 50s and, and you don't get away with it quite as easily as you used to. But that's really? not to say that you can't do it. You just have to do it in a different way. Sure. What, one thing that when I was watching the video of you doing this thing, it was um, a, a part, it was obvious there's an awful lot of preparation and, you know, you've obviously been an elite athlete your whole life. So massive preparation for your body, but also preparation for your mind. And during it, utter, utter grit and determination. <laughs> now, that, that's, that I suspect is something that not everyone has got in quite the same amount. But it, it did make me wonder, when it comes to recovery, um, because... Do, do, a lot about doing these things is is in the mind. Is there any of the recovery which is in the mind as well? You know, mind over matter, or you know, or is I, I you know I will get better. I will be able to go off and do it again next week or whatever. Or or is that just kind of I don't know wishful no, thinking. I think, I, 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 I think what's interesting is that I think many people and, and and you coined it there. I think many people think that the aspects of performance are are innate. Is that you know you were born gritty, you know, and so therefore that that's if you're not gritty, then you'll you'll never you'll never be able to do it. And I think it's entirely untrue. I think much of performance uh, is is trainable. I mean, there, there are obvious things that aren't trainable. Things like somatotype, you can't train your height, um, but but what but what you can do, you can train the brain. And I think that 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 very much the role of, interestingly enough, the role of training, I think often people think that, that the preparation for, for, for a major challenge like that, so running a marathon or, or whatever it is, is all about the physiology. It's all about the body and how the body is going to respond. Where in fact, it's actually as much about the mind because you know, during that progressive approach to training, once you start those longer runs, what you're doing during those longer runs, you're developing, uh, you're developing a system to cope with the misery fundamentally <laughs> and 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 you've got you know you've got displacement is that as you're running along when it starts to get tough you start thinking about something else and and what you do is you develop these strategies and those and those strategies are learned and and i think that you know obviously for, for someone like me and, and, and others who do it on a regular basis what we've done is we've we've built up that strategy over time and so yeah. we can move into it much quicker than if it's your first ever marathon uh, but 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 equally, it doesn't. It's still uh, still trainable. And it, it, I think here's an interesting one. I think you know people will look at this. And think, yeah, I, you know, I can train the brain. You can actually train the stomach. You can train the gut uh, to cope with feeding during exercise. So if you're if you're new to running uh, and you go out for a run and you take on some food or you take on some fluids while you're running, right. often the first time you do that all of a sudden you've got a tummy upset. It feels like it's swashing about. You're really struggling to cope with it. But actually what you can do is you can train the gut to improve it, it to improve the rate of absorption, to improve the way in which it handles uh, okay. foodstuffs or fluids in the gut. 
So again, in, in that preparation phase, what everything, fundamentally, everything is trainable. And so therefore, every session should be looking at, at physiology, psychology, technical, tactical, nutrition. Everything is being developed uh, during that process so that when it comes to event day, what you've got is you've got your strategy and you know your strategy works because you've developed it through training. That's the key to it, really. All right. I see. When you, you talk about um, drinking and taking on food during these, these kind of they're long events, though, aren't they? You know, yeah. when, when I go for my little 5K jog, you know, I don't have to worry about that. I'll just have a drink when I get back. Yeah. It's not going to make any yeah. difference. I mean, certainly at my level anyway, it won't make any difference no. how well I do. No, it, 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 generally no is the answer to that. I mean, I think, you know, it, I mean, you know, when we're talking about ultra, we're talking, you know, many of these events are sort of 15 hours plus and, and I've, I've done much longer than that. Okay, so... Greg, we, we, we've spoken a, a bit about recovery for regular people and um, elite athletes, endurance athletes, and what's what's been learned by sort of, um, sports science and actually how a lot of this can be relevant to you know r- regular people. Uh, and this is all great stuff. But I, I know as as part of your career um, for quite a long time now, you you sort of specialised in taking people that are quite famous quite well known but it's not as athletes and taking them under your wing and helping them to do some extraordinary things as well what with this this with with comic relief really i'm, I'm thinking about so I, i'm kind of in, in, intrigued to hear a, a bit more about that and specifically some of the sort of similar similarities that you find between athletes that you've known and, and yourself as well and these people who are in a different walk of life and then all of a sudden well maybe not all of a sudden but you get to do some fantastic (laughs) physical feats yeah yeah i mean it's really interesting i think you touched on a really interesting point there mike is this this idea and i think yeah this is a, a lesson for all of this is that i think sometimes what we do is we assume that that people are somehow a different breed is that, you know, if you're an elite athlete, you're a different breed to, to normal people. If you're a comedian or if you're a, a singer or whatever, it's, suddenly you're a different breed, but of course you're not just physiologically, you're, you're the same. Uh, psychologically. I think what's interesting about, about um, celebrities is that invariably much, much like it is with, with elite sport is that what we do is, you know, this last year we watched the Olympic games and, and, for, and for some people it's the first time they've ever seen those athletes compete. And you sort of think, Oh, well, they, they just, well, they pack their bag in the morning and next thing they're in the Olympic stadium doing their thing. Well, of course they're not, <laughs> that's not how you get to the Olympic games. And equally you don't become, you know, the world's biggest children's author uh, by waking up one morning and think, you know, I'll just, I'll just write a book and, and away we go. No. Is that, these guys, they, you're seeing the end product of, 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 a, of a very long journey. And that journey, interestingly, is very similar to, to what athletes go through. You know, there are, there are periods of, of great success, um, but equally there are periods of failure. Um, and, and I think it's, it's the ability to cope. Not only, Interesting, people talk about coping with failure, but actually coping with success can be really difficult as well. Um, and it's also the, the ability to reflect on that and, and what, you know, in success what went right and, and what could have been improved as well as in failure it, often we reflect on failure and, and often what we do is we we reflect on it for far too long whereas what we should do is actually give it up you know reflect on it identify where we went wrong make sure we don't make those mistakes again uh, and, and move forward on it but and i think what you find with celebrities is that that, that they have they know what, what hard work is 
You know, yeah. I, the one thing I, ne- I never have to explain to them is you know, how to work hard because they know what that is. They have incredible tenacity. You know, they will keep going. They really want to, you know, to, to do it. Um, you know, they know what success and what failure looks like. And so therefore they can cope with all those sort of things. So, I mean, it's a really interesting package. I think the one thing I always say to people that the one thing I can never give anybody is desire. And, and that's the most, it just that has to come from within initially. Now, if, if you come to me really wanting to do something, but you've got no motivation, we can work with that. Right. Uh, if you come to me having watched something and think, yeah, yeah, I'm really up for it. I really want to do it. Um, um, but it, but but actually have not quite sure how to do it. And then actually we can do something with that. But I think if, if you come in, you, you've, you've been coerced into it. And often when you look at these, so I now look after quite a few with children in need as well, is that you have to be very careful to coerce. If you coerce somebody into doing something and they don't really want to do it, then it's, it, it is an uphill struggle because right. it has to be, there has to be that 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 underlying desire. And, and it's the same for all of us, you know, that often, I mean, how many people, we watch the London Marathon every year, 32,000 people start it, you know, and there'll be a few thousand of those who are only there because they've been coerced into being there and they really don't want to do it and they don't know why they're there. <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's you know, it's, a, it's it really is an uphill battle from there on in. So I think the, the, key, the key to learn from that is that, you know, make sure it's something that you love. You know, if you are starting something, if you want to become more active, uh, then do something that you love and do something right. that really engages you and that you really want. Because if you've got that, everything else can be built from it. So now you're probably far too professional to uh, answer this question, but out of the celebs that you've worked with, were there any that you thought, hmm, not sure about this? <laughs> Maybe then the heart's not really in it and it's kind of, it was harder work. <laughs> they probably would have thought it at various points during training i think it's you know what what is truly extraordinary about these guys is that look you know in, in the early days people said to me oh they're only doing this to get on telly it's like really they don't need to get on to do this to get on telly you know no. the amount of work that is required that, that, and the amount and again with it what you see is you see the end product you see the challenge you, you don't see what's happened before it but the, the amount of work that, that it takes to get to that point of challenge is is absolutely enormous and the commitment that's required to that and i think generally well i think across the board everybody i've ever worked with has had such a great attitude towards that and, and has really committed to it um for, for various different personal reasons and professional reasons why they're doing it but but the bottom line is that actually i i can't think of one and i've worked on 37 major challenges with celebrities um and and each and every one of them has dedicated themselves to the task because they are you know this is not made up television these are proper physical challenges uh, and they've really dedicated themselves to it so it's an easy question to answer and that is that none of uh i've thought i've worried about in terms of commitment i'd certainly worry about them physically <laughs> and psychologically but not about commitment <laughs> interesting nice all right so let, let's just sort of bring it bring it back to regular people because most of the people listening to this won't be elite athletes or, or or celebs if people are thinking all right so now i'm i'm either you know i'm in my 20s i want to do more exercise or or in my 50s and i want to do it sensibly such that once I've you know, done the first bout of exercise or as I move on, I want to be able to walk the next day. I want to be yep. able to have some sensible recovery. 
they want a place to go for some good advice. You know, is yeah. can can you suggest a, a resource that they can just get some good, sensible, um, simple advice from? Do you know? I, I think there there's a wealth of advice out there, and, and I think that the, the key is to make sure that you find somebody that you trust. I think that that's the key to it. But but there's some great advice online. Um, there is some great advice locally. You know, at, the, at your local gym, PTs are, are, are really well trained, uh, and and they really will understand you. And again, if from from a P, PT perspective, it is about somebody that works for you. I think critically, you, you have to trust the information that you're getting, and, and it, it is a relationship that what you want is you want somebody to understand you, what you're trying to achieve, uh, and 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 obviously trust them that they can actually deliver what's required for you. Um, magazines are full of it. I mean, there is a wealth of information out there. I think to some extent, it might be the fact that there's just too much information. And I think it's just titrating it down uh, and just getting the essential information that's required. But I think I think the, the first place really is it starts with you as an individual. I think making sure that you identify what is it that you really want to do? What, you know, what are you trying to achieve? Is it physical activity for general health is it mm -hmm. physical activity to improve muscle mass is it physical activity because you want to raise money running a park run or running a london marathon i think goal setting for me is the, is the initial phase and right. i think that the only to some extent only you can decide that and then once you've deciding it decided that what you can then do is go out and search for the for the right person or right information to support you in your specific targeted goal so i think get you know establish the goal first and once you've established it and, and, and to some extent that will point you in the direction where, where you need to go you know there are so many fabulous running clubs swimming clubs triathlon clubs out there now uh there is so much out there particularly in terms of the, we call them the masters groups you know so the, the older uh, age groups uh there are some fantastic clubs out there now which never existed you know two decades ago um, and so I think, you know, to my mind is search for the right people that you trust and that know what you want to do. But first and foremost, make sure you understand what it is that you want to achieve. And of course, right. notwithstanding that can change across time, but have, have a clear goal and then you're asking the right questions and therefore you'll get the right answers. All right. Greg, that sounds like perfect advice. So thank you very much again for, for chatting. Really interesting. Absolutely fascinating. I, I thoroughly enjoyed chatting, so many thanks. Right. Well, listen, thanks for having me on. It's always great to chat. I'll speak to you soon. Yeah. Radio is cool. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things, make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchzip.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits, and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% with the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk or click our banner on the UK Health Radio website. Discover alcohol freedom with zero zilch zip. Because nothing's better. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good.
So many thanks to my guest, Professor Greg White. I hope to have him on again soon. However, he has given me a load of homework to do uh, before next time. He's given me papers to read, uh, one on exercise and cancer recovery. So I hope to have him on uh, and uh, that to be the topic uh, before long. So thanks again to the prof. And of course, thank you to you for listening. Thank you for listening and please do join us again next time.